Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Thursday. This is Seattle Now. In the Pacific Northwest, there's no food as iconic as salmon. But for members of the Confederated Tribes and Bands of the Yakima Nation, it's sacred. And the salmon in the Columbia River Basin that they eat is contaminated with pollutants. We'll talk with ProPublica reporter Maya Miller in a minute. But first, let's get you caught up. Get the dog inside. It is cold out there. The National Weather Service says highs will only be in the mid-30s and overnight wind chills will bring temperatures into the 20s. Be careful. Out on the roads and sidewalks, the slush is making things treacherous in spots. That wintry mix will return on Friday. Despite Amazon's recent troubles, the company's Thanksgiving weekend sales were the biggest ever. Amazon doesn't typically share how much it earns during its sales events and didn't disclose the overall revenue from the weekend. The company did say the independent businesses that sell on its site generated more than a billion dollars in sales. And some bad news for local news in Everett. The Seattle Times reports the Daily Herald of Everett is discontinuing its Sunday and Monday print editions and switching to delivery by mail. The Sound Publishing-owned paper has been undergoing cutbacks for years now as subscriptions have dwindled. Support your local news, people. The Columbia River is the largest river in the Pacific Northwest. It's also been heavily polluted for more than a century. That's been a huge problem for salmon and salmon eaters in the area. Oregon Public Broadcasting's Tony Schick has been an environmental reporter for years. He brought the idea of studying the river's salmon to ProPublica, where he teamed up with reporter Maya Miller. What he found through doing that day-in, day-out reporting is you can't really understand the environment and environmental health in the Pacific Northwest without understanding the health of salmon. The health of those salmon also directly contributes to the health of the tribal members in the area. Members of the Confederated Tribes and Bands of the Yakima Nation, they eat a lot of salmon from the river. There have been surveys of how often tribal members eat salmon every month, and 15 eight-ounce servings a month is kind of what the average tribal member in the Pacific Northwest eats. Tony bought and gutted 50 fish and sent the results to toxicologists. They found high levels of mercury and PCBs, which can lead to neurodevelopmental disorders. Someone should not eat more than eight eight eight-ounce servings of the salmon a month. And then we also found levels of dioxin, which has been found to cause cancer at levels that would warrant limiting the amount of consumption to four eight-ounce pieces of salmon. Maya is here to tell us more about what she and Tony found. Maya, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Central to your article is a promise made by the U.S. government to the tribes. Let's talk about what that was. Yeah, so in the 1850s, as you know, mercenaries for the U.S. government were traversing across the West and the Pacific Northwest, the folks on the U.S. side, when they came across tribes who had been living there for centuries, kind of forced these treaties upon tribal members and said, we want this land. So in exchange for ceding this land, we'll promise to uphold your right to access fish and specifically access salmon, because salmon is such an important part of the identity of tribes and of their diets. And so we wanted to understand, did they live up to that promise? Has the U.S. government enabled tribes to continue to access these sites? And have they continued to enable tribes to access fish that are actually healthy and safe for them to eat? Right. Access is different than accessing healthy fish. So by extension, 
it's understood that that was part of the promise. Right. And that's that's what many tribal members and tribal leaders told us. Um, and they also uh, told us that without the ability to consume salmon safely, they're being kind of forced to give up this part of their identity that's so important to them. And some folks said that, you know, when the salmon are gone and when we're not able to eat them, then we're gone. So for many of them, if the U.S. is not enabling these salmon to be safe enough to eat, then they're failing their promise. And something we also learned throughout the course of our reporting is that the U.S. is actually responsible for a lot of the pollution itself. The Army Corps of Engineers is responsible for a lot of pollution being dumped into the river. And so we found that not only has the regulatory system to try to prevent pollution is not working as it should, but also that the U.S. historically has been responsible for a lot of that pollution that's been dumped in the Columbia River and is now kind of building up in the tissue of salmon and other fish. And let's talk a little bit more about how important salmon is to the diet for people in the Confederated Tribes and Bands in the Yakima Nation. It's a sacred food. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so Tony and I learned that uh, salmon is uh, part of ceremonies that tribal members have from baby namings to funerals to um, even birthdays. Every year, there's actually a ceremony where they celebrate the return of the first food. Salmon is considered one of the first foods uh, from the creator that was given to tribal members. And so they have a ceremony every year. And actually, in the past year or so, they actually have had to use frozen salmon because there's just not been enough supply. And the supply that they have, they're concerned about contamination. You know, given everything we've been talking about and the information the tribes have now about the salmon they're consuming, how can they balance this safety with their tradition, with this sacred food? Yeah, I think that's a question that, you know, we pose to folks. And uh, a lot of people told us that question that they felt it was fun- fundamentally unfair that they were being put in a position where they had to just, you know, potentially choose between a part of their identity that was present at baby namings, present at birthdays, that they associate with family time, that they eat, you know, weekly at least. Um, And then this decision of their health, which obviously people really want to maintain a healthy lifestyle and be able to live in a healthy way. But um, yeah, they felt that given the, again, series of broken promises that have let the situation transpire, that have let um, tribal members now live in a situation where the salmon, this first food is not only, you know, difficult to come by because the the runs aren't as robust as they used to be, but what's left of it, it does contain level of contaminants. They said that that question is, is really unfair and that these actually these health advisories is kind of this last ditch public health tool that is being used and is a symptom that, of a larger kind of broken regulatory system. You know, it's interesting, though, because we are all dealing with environmental issues, and we have all been on the receiving end of a government that doesn't fulfill its promises, Maya. Why is this different? Going back to, you know, that situation that tribal members and tribes across the Pacific Northwest were initially in when U.S. mercenaries confronted them, kind of pushed them away from their land, and then promised to retain this really important part of their identity that history is not one that everyone in the United States shares. There was kind of this promise to uphold that. And so tribal members are are pretty upset and angry that that hasn't been upheld, but also have been at the forefront of kind of leading the charge of ensuring that change does happen and that there is more monitoring for these contaminants, that there is more testing, that 
you know, that there are more pollution controls put in so that we don't have to get in a situation where we're asking tribes not to eat a fish that is, again, really critical to who they are as a, as a people. And so that, that's one of the main pillars of why this is different than other ways that people across the U.S. have been maybe, uh, you know, failed by other U.S. healthcare systems. Yeah, yeah. Straight up, I wonder if this situation is reversible. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, we were a little late to the game to, you know, insert the Clean Water Act that came, what we know as a Clean Water Act today really came in the 70s, in the 1970s. And that was after decades, if not a century plus of unfettered, unchecked pollution of these, uh, you know, industrial facilities parking along the Columbia River, these U.S. government entities parking along the Columbia River and dumping toxics into the water, um, all in the name of just unfettered growth. And then the state of the environment became so dire that, you know, there, there was this reactive federal policy that came in. And now um, we have the Clean Water Act, um, which has made a pretty big dent in pollution across the country today. And tribes are pretty optimistic. So tribal leaders that we spoke to and tribal members we spoke to are optimistic that, you know, this is something that is not necessarily reversible, but that we can make progress on that there are additional um, pollution controls that the state governments can be implementing and require industrial facilities to implement to lessen the amount of pollution going into the river, um, that some of the dams that have like enabled this kind of pooling up of dirty water are now, there's conversations about um, and actually action around breaking some of the dams down and that's happening soon. We, I think there there is a moment of progress and actually for the first time the the EPA did get a pretty big infusion of funding. They got $79 million um, this past year to address and try to restore the Columbia River. While that's great, it came, uh, you know, after decades of which tribal members and even the EPA itself have been trying to make cleaning up the Columbia and restoring the Columbia priority, but just haven't really been given the funds to do so. Maya Miller is a reporter at ProPublica. Maya, thanks so much for your reporting. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Vaughn Jones produced today's episode. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. 